Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to It's Called Soccer, the U.S. soccer podcast where we're talking about everything happening in the American soccer sphere. I'm joined as always by Thomas Godden. And today we are talking about the 1-1 draw between the U.S. women's national team and the Netherlands. Before we get into it, we're going to talk about everything from Flacco's not usage of substitutes to uh, Haran's getting angry and her goal and what the U.S. looked like playing against this Dutch team. We didn't quite get revenge for that men's round of 16 game with that draw. Uh, the U.S. women's national team will play Portugal on Tuesday morning at 3 a.m. Eastern time. And we'll talk about all of the groups and the uh, populations of teams that we might play in these knockout rounds. It's not looking great, <laughs> but we'll talk about all that before we get started. Let's check in with Tom. Tom, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, wrapping up a fun summer of research, trying to get a research paper out and getting ready for my qualifying exam here in a few weeks. So it's a fun time to be at State College. Uh, how's your life going, Jake? It's good. Uh, we're moving into the new house. Everything's moved in. I'm getting some new floors put in as well. And if you haven't seen my last video or been on the Discord or anything, you may not have heard, but I will be joining Men and Blazers as their new director of digital video, which is huge. It's a dream job. I'll be leaving my career in financial planning that I've done for the last decade. Um, so this is huge for me. And yeah, it's called soccer. We'll continue. We'll mostly be doing these long form podcasts and keeping these going. We're on episode one hundred and two. Tom, can you believe that? This is insane. <laughs> we start come a long way from where we started two years ago. <laughs> oh my god! I I hope people aren't going back and listening to those episodes because um, <laughs> we're not even good now. So <laughs> I would be sad for anyone that has to listen to us a hundred and one episodes ago because um, it's going to be even worse. But um, yeah, so my new my new job with Men and Blazers starts on Monday. You can start to see my influence on their YouTube channels um, starting then. But I'm just really excited. They're like some of the best content creators in the game. Raj Bennett, uh, Devo, like they're all insanely talented, um, insanely intelligent about the game. And if I'm just thinking about why I got into making It's Called Soccer, originally FIFA America, if you'll recall, uh, or Yanks Go Talking. Yo, Yanks Go Talking was the podcast way back in the day. <laughs> Our initial podcast name. Um, yeah, I, if I'm just thinking about that and the reason why we're even doing this, other than just connecting with other like-minded people, it was building that positive community around U.S. soccer, right? And having people be able to talk and discuss and debate without um, attacking each other personally. I think we've seen that on the Discord as well, like, the it's called soccer people, even when they disagree with each other, um, it's all based on facts. It's all based on opinions. It's not based on the other people being an idiot. So that's just been really nice to see. And I feel like Men and Blazers is another company and media network that tries to take that um, and run with it, just being you know empathetic and, and starting there. So I'm really excited. It feels like it aligns to my values a lot, and obviously they're they're huge. So. 
I'm ecstatic. I love that we get to continue this podcast. Same. But you're going to do so great, such great things there. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Appreciate that, Tom. Something that might not have been fun to watch. Let's get into this 1-1 draw. <laughs> what a transition. <laughs> uh, yeah, we couldn't have planned that better. But Tom, Tom, you said before we started recording that if there was ever a game to talk about and some time in those moments in those matches um, that we need to discuss and dissect, it's this one. So overall, what were your thoughts about this match? I've rarely been more frustrated watching a U.S. Women's National Team match. I mean, I feel like this cycle has been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of really tough matches to watch, some really fun matches to watch. But this one was just brutal in a lot of ways. The first half was rough. We looked a lot better in the second half. Probably unlucky not to come away with a win in that game. But man, just so disjointed and just not really that beautiful of soccer to watch. Not really a game that sparked a lot of joy in a lot of ways. Yeah, and you mentioned we were we probably should have come away with the win. I want to give you guys the the end game stats before we dive into the starting eleven. The game ended one one. However, the U.S. women's national team outshot the Netherlands eighteen to five. The USA had two big chances. The Dutch had zero. Um, the Dutch did outpossess us fifty six percent to forty four percent. So, Tom. It, it seems like the U.S. was the better team. It might not have felt like that, especially in that first half. What do the numbers tell you as a statistics, as a scientist? What are they saying to you? I mean, the statistics, like you said, are pretty good. I mean, even when you're not being uh, getting the lion's share of possession, I don't think the women want, the U.S. women at least want the lion's share of possession in a game. They tend to play better when the other team is coming out of their shell, being a little bit more expansive so that there's space for our insane athletes to run in behind and not be grouped up on so much and try to break down a low block. So I'm not really worried about the possession stats. I like uh, FOPOB shows nine shots to two. The XG numbers ends up being about 0.9 to 0.4. The Dutch really only get our two big chances the entire game to score, only two shooting chances. And even though they kept possessing the ball, as frustrating as it was to sort of watch the U.S. just chase the game around for most of the first half, the Dutch weren't doing anything with it. It was just a lot of, you know, very calm, not very purposeful possession for the Dutch. So statistically, the game really looks like a game the U.S. should have won, but it doesn't feel that way watching it live just because of how things played out. It's funny, too, because the Dutch are possessing the ball more. They had the lion's share of possession. They didn't do much with it, but their goal in the 17th minute was on a counterattack. It was taking advantage of the space between our midfield line and that back line. So let's get into that now. The starting 11 for the U.S. Women's National Team was the same exact 11 that we saw against Vietnam. Tom, I was convinced, convinced, convinced 100%, 2,000% that Julie Ertz was getting time as a center back against Vietnam to just let her build herself into the team, get comfortable on the pitch, and we would see her at that center defensive midfield role, the number six, in the game against the Netherlands because that was going to be such an important battle to have those midfield numbers. Same starting 11, Ertz at center back. And the goal from the Netherlands came from a missed tackle by Andy Sullivan, the player that was playing in that number six. And that that was one of the many lowlights. I'm, I'm sorry to say I hate like talking about players that maybe played a little bit more negatively, but Andy Sullivan is probably one of the weaker players in that starting 11. And she was found out in that Netherlands goal. So while I want to also ask about the front three, just 
Talk me through the goal. Like from my perspective, if Julie Ertz is playing as a center defensive mid, that's what she's known for. She's known for breaking up plays, for making great tackles, for protecting the back line. And that's how the Netherlands scored their goal. So what were your thoughts on the starting 11 being the same exact one that we saw against Vietnam? I don't understand it either. I thought for sure you'd see Cook and Gerba as the center back partner for this World Cup and Ertz is the natural choice to play the six. I don't understand why we're taking off a good center back for what I think is not a great center defensive mid in order to play our center defensive mid out of position. It just doesn't feel like that makes a whole lot of sense to me. I would even almost rather see Savannah DeMelo move back the line and play in the six and, you know, add someone like Ashley Sanchez or Rose Lavelle just to sort of maybe change things up a little bit. Sullivan's just so slow that I just don't really understand why Vlatko keeps playing her and keeps giving her all these chances to succeed because it's just, it's never worked really well at all. Yeah, I mean, the question that I would ask myself is, if if I added up everyone's collective talents on the pitch, I feel like the collective talent would be higher by putting Julie Ertz at that center defensive midfielder position and Emily or um, Cook at the center back position next to Naomi Gurma. That yeah. seems like a better starting eleven in totality for me, rather than having Ertz at center back and Andy Sullivan at that center defensive midfielder position. Um, I wanted to ask also about the front three because Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman were on the left and right wings respectively with Alex Morgan playing in the center. And what I saw was, you know, three players that play very similarly. I think Alex Morgan, as she's gotten older, she's tried to play a little bit deeper. She's tried to maybe find more space in the box, but really like her, her intention, her like innate ability is running out of back line having the ball at her feet. Uh, we even saw on the goal that she scored that was called offside. That was kind of bread and butter, Alex Morgan. It's not necessarily the player that's going to be the fox in the box. Um, what are your thoughts on all three of our front three kind of having similar playing profiles? I, it's interesting because there's a lot of question marks about how we should manage this front three going forward for this World Cup. Morgan's, I, I'm, you know, there's like small camp that I think is growing a little bit that maybe you. Sit Morgan because Sophia Smith is such a monster at striker for Portland Thorns that it almost makes sense to just, you know, try Lynn Williams out there or let Morgan sit and come off the bench and be sort of a late game target striker. But at the same time, you look at that goal that we opened with against Vietnam, you look at a lot of the chances we create. Morgan does have a very good ability to just get on the ball and just get a little flick on that's going to spring one of our two really speedy wingers into space. And that's how we sort of created chances. Yeah, yeah. That, that goal that we scored against Vietnam was beautiful, where she just sort of, one little clever flick, Sophia Smith is into space, and that's who you want in space. But at the same time, we didn't do any of that until like the 65th minute. So it almost makes more sense to try and save that as a late game tactic, maybe? I don't, I don't know. I'm. It's really confusing with how to sort of work this front three. Is your best front three Sophia Smith out of position and running Rodman and Morgan up there, or is Lynn Williams being a more versatile attacker across the front line, giving you a little bit more to work with for the first, you know, 60 minutes of the game. What I worry about with taking Alex Morgan out of the match isn't necessarily her presence, but her ability to kind of be the senior statesman, stateswoman in uh, like her pressing triggers. And especially against the Netherlands, I think we saw this in a really negative light for the U.S. Like Alex Morgan would press one of the center backs and, the Netherlands, I think, also surprised us by playing three in the back. 
Uh, that's a really ballsy move against the U.S. And uh, we didn't take advantage of it. We weren't able to force turnovers from their back line. I think a lot of that had to do with us being really confused about when to put that second and third press on. If Alex Morgan was kind of shaping a defender's body to go one way, the the second press, whether it was Trinity Rodman or Sophia Smith, weren't necessarily, necessarily at that uh, wingback position to take um, that wide space away. And even in the goal that the Netherlands scored against us, you could see the width that we had was really narrow. We were confused all game about what pressing triggers, like when someone was going to go. Um, and I also want to take this moment also to say, if you're listening to this podcast and you are enjoying this conversation, I have no doubts that you would enjoy watching the recap show with uh, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press. Tom, have you been watching that? I have not. It, it's one of the best like analysis, Tobin Heath's analysis of the game, Kristen Press's just ability to talk about what players might be thinking and going through. Um, it's an amazing show. They've just started it for the, the Women's World Cup. So I'd really encourage every, anyone who's listening to this and saying, hmm, that makes sense. I like what I'm hearing. Definitely go listen to the recap show. Um, I'll also make a plug for Men and Blazers. They've been having one-on-one conversations and they had one with Lindsay Horan where before the game, they talked about uh, her teammate, Danielle Vandedonk, Um, And Lindsay Horan said something to the effect of like, you better watch your ankles because she'll come at them. Um, and it was almost this foresight of what it was yeah. going to be like to play. Um, but yeah, so in, in the recap show, Tobin Heath was talking a lot about the pressing triggers and the width of the team. Um, I think I saw that as well, just of, players almost not being on the same page. So maybe it's not about the player profile being the same, but I feel like we do need some type of veteran presence or some yeah. person leading the line and having the ability to set those pressing triggers. Well, and like the stats kind of back that up, especially not being on the same page. When you look at how Rodman and Sith played in that game, it felt like whenever one of them had the ball in the box, no one else sort of knew how to respond to that across the entire front six and where to go or how to make things happen. And so you get... Robin or Smith dribbling into the box than being sort of collapsed on by five players and just losing possession. Rodman had 70 touches, lost possession on 35 of them, only completed 10 of 23 passing. Smith had 48 touches, lost possession on 26 of them, and was only 8 of 18 passing. That's not good numbers from your wingers to at all. Yeah. So it, you clearly... ones that are some of the best in the world where you're expecting way better production out of that. Yeah, you would get one of them isolated on the wing and it would just turn into an ISO situation where the Dutch would just close them down and nothing would come of it. So uh, we got an occasional very good quarter kick out of it. And, you know, we were very dangerous on set pieces, including scoring one. But I think that there's got to be some sort of some more fluidity, which feels sort of like an oxymoron with Blackgo's tactics or lack thereof at times. But yeah, either we need a change of personnel across the front line or something's not working in the communication aspect of the game. I mean, it does. So moving us forward, the second half, we changed out Rose Lavelle for Savannah DeBello. Um, technically, that's a 45th minute change. Substitute comes in. Rose Lavelle is pretty much a game changer. Like you can see right away that the U.S. feels way more comfortable just kind of flowing the game back to front and having that solidity to be the aggressors all the time. Even if we were out possessed every time we had the ball, it was an attacking situation for the U.S. team. In the 60th minute, Lindsay Horan gets cleared out by her club teammate at Lyon, Daniel Vandedonk. The, the ensuing corner kick comes for the U.S. and Horan and Vandedonk are getting into it. Horan, uh, any of my lip readers out here will see that Horan tells her teammate to shut your fucking mouth, which is amazing. 
<laughs> Peace comes and Haran scores a towering header to bring the U.S. level. Um, Tom, two things like, what did you think Roosevelt brought to the team? And should we just figure out how to get Lindsay Haran as angry as possible before stepping out on the pitch against Portugal? And it's funny, too, because Haran had a pretty terrible first half. I thought she was kind of pedestrian the entire first half. Uh, frankly, I thought DeMello was our only really good midfielder in the first half. And uh, we come out and LaBelle sort of changes that whole script. I'm not sure if it was the Dutch deciding to sit back a little bit more or if the threat of Rose LaBelle sort of being a little bit better in the press and reading those sort of triggers a little bit better allowed us to sort of not get played around as much, not get overrun in the midfield. But yeah, as soon as Lavelle came on, we sort of attacked a little bit more. It sort of felt like the entire uh, game was played in the Dutch half for the rest of the game. And that was, you know, exactly what we needed. I also liked the service that both DeMello and Lavelle were providing on set pieces. They were basically excellent the entire time. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that Lavelle makes the most sense to substitute for Savannah DeMello because DeMello, like despite her being one of our first few caps for the U.S. being in this World Cup, I think she's done extremely well, especially against the Netherlands when we were outnumbered in the midfield. She, like you said, I think had one of the best first halves for the U.S., but Roosevelt like, is head and shoulders above almost everyone else on this team, I would say, other than maybe So Smith um, mm-hmm. in terms of how much you can trust her with the ball, her first touch, everything. Um, so yeah, 62nd minute, Haran scores that win, uh, scores that header. It's 1-1. Um, Tom, we get to the 60th minute, we get to the 75th minute, we get to the 80th minute. There's no substitutes coming on for the U.S. Uh, so Smith rips one and it gets cleared off the line just barely. Julie Ertz makes a goal-saving block in the box and the game ends 1-1 with the U.S. and Vlatko Andonovsky using one substitute out of five available. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't really believe it. I had to look three and four different times at Putmob and at the the goal score box. But what what are you walking away from the game thinking? I was so frustrated. I was at a bar with some friends watching the game in the last 15 minutes. Every time the ball went out of play, I turned to them and go, okay, let's make a substitute. <laughs> it just never happened to the point where they were making fun of me for calling for a substitute for the entire like last 20 minutes of the game. It makes no sense that we did not try and make a single change. Uh, did you see Blacko's quote about it when he was asked about it? Yeah, I th- so there were two. There was one where it was talking about how the team was dominant. I hear echoes of Greg Neuralter <laughs> against Canada, the 2 nothing loss. Um, yeah, the team being dominant, being in a rhythm, he didn't want to disrupt the rhythm. I know another one uh, that was asked by uh, Meg Linhan about potentially bringing Lynn Williams in, where he said, if you bring in a substitute, it takes them a minute or two to get up to game <laughs> yeah. speed. Which, like, there's there's 90 total minutes in the game. Yeah. 30 minutes left at 60 minutes. Like, if if Lynn Williams comes in and scores a goal, you're not mad that for 120 seconds she was yeah. <laughs> on to the pitch and, like, getting her feet. What? Yeah. Those types of comments, I mean, there's but there's not even anything that Vladko could say that would make me think oh yeah that makes sense like yeah i get the through line of we were in a rhythm but the us the the overarching piece of this tom and i'd love the viewers to understand my perspective too is like we're not talking about a team that only has a best 11 and everyone else on the team is a depth piece like 
other than world-class players in each of their positions, every every player on this U.S. team, 1-23, to 23, would be starting for every other team in the World Cup. Like, unless there's a Viviana Miedema, unless there's a Sam Kerr in your position, you're starting for Portugal, Spain, Germany. And mm-hmm. to not use any of them to come in and change the game or not even change the game, just give us like a fresh look, a fresh fresh legs, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Also, like the US for the last 15, 20 minutes were had all of the best chances, were crossing it in, were trying to just feed it into the box, figure out some way to unlock that defense. Would it not be a great time to big bring Pino in? Would it not be a great time to bring Lynn Williams in like or Alyssa Thompson just give us something yeah. fresh some different look yeah I mean I think this is also incredibly insulting given that Vlatko has recently called Lynn Williams the best 15 to 30 minute player in the world and then he goes and says that she uh wasn't gonna get substituted in because it might take her a minute or two to adjust and yeah no it just makes no sense you can't tell me that uh Alyssa Thompson would not have just been a monster running at those tired legs if Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman after 75 minutes are just starting to tear them apart then like bring on the 18 year old who can go for days without stopping or bring on Lynn Williams who's an excellent attacking piece there heck bring on Ashley Sanchez and just see what she can do maybe take her off maybe get, spare some legs there there are a million different options Sophia Fuerte's got a great ca- cross in her you have Emily Sonnet on the bench as well there are I, you can go on. You can go down the whole roster and say, yeah, they could they could provide something off the bench. They could be the spark that we need here. And I I don't get it. There's a no, there's a counter argument to be made that, you know, Rodman and Smith were finally starting to cook and that those are the two that you want starting to cook after 75 minutes. But you got to figure with fresh legs that you're going to get something else out of the rest of your team. And I just I don't quite understand it all right so with this one one draw tom the u.s and the netherlands are tied at the top of the table with four points each portugal has three vietnam has zero so depending on what happens between the portugal match for the u.s and then how badly the netherlands beats vietnam um it's all going to come out to us playing the either sweden or potentially italy as well from the other group Sweden is the number three team in the world behind the U.S. They also beat us 3-0 at the 2021 Olympics. That's a scary team if I'm looking out at the bracket to face in the round of 16. Um, what What's going to happen on Tuesday with the group? There's a very real chance, I think, that the U.S. is going to come in second in the group. Um, if they don't you know, blow four or five past Portugal, it's not looking great for them in uh, getting first in the group. And then how do we play that game against Portugal? Like all of our players now have had, uh, almost all of them have had 180 minutes, at least the starters that we would want to play that you think Vlatko is going to depend on to be that starting 11. So where where do we go from here with our starting 11 against Portugal? What's your outlook to this, the end of the group stage and us getting into the round of 16? So most importantly for this winning the group, finishing second situation is, uh, we get a 9 p.m. Eastern time kick if we win the group, and we get a 3 a.m. Eastern time kick for the round of 16 if we lose, if we have a second for the group. So for start time reasons, we need to win the group, no matter who we're going to end up playing. 
Sweden in the round of 16 is not great. Uh, the quarterfinal opponent's kind of a toss-up because you get either Spain or Japan either way. Um, and neither of those are teams you want to face either. There's not really an easy opponent going forward looking ahead at the groups. So avoid Sweden and then get the weaker of Spain-Japan. But even then, neither of those are really a weak team. So yeah, you want to go out to try and win the group and give yourself the best possible chance. So the best way to do that is not going to be an easy game. Like that's out of gimme. No, it's not. Easy games left. We just beat Wales 2-0, who lost to Portugal on the last match day um, to qualify for the World Cup. So we basically have two equal... Uh, Wales and Portugal about equal strength teams. The Dutch beat them 1-0. Most importantly, the Dutch didn't allow them a touch inside the the attacking box until the 82nd minute. So, um, But Portugal was pretty good beyond that. It was not a game with a lot of chances. This is a very stout defensive team who can give us problems. So... You can't just sort of rest your starters and say, yeah, we'll cruise through into the knockout stages. You're going to have to go with your best 11, right? Yeah, and that's what irks me the most about all of this is it's not just about having one sub and not just about using your depth to get through the game. This is a tournament structure. This is not just the group stage. This is the round of 16. This is the quarterfinals. You need to be thinking, especially if you're one of the favorites to win the tournament, you need to be thinking about the strategy one, two games ahead. And we should have seen this coming. Again, if I'm looking at the Vietnam match, that is absolutely not my same starting 11 going against the Netherlands. And I, I think what Vladko is doing was trying to gel the team, the players that he's going to trust to be that best 11. But it's just not working. Like You're going to flame people out. You're going to burn people out to the point where we have to try our damn hardest to win this group against Portugal, meaning we play potentially the same starting 11, all three of our group games. And if that is what Blackco considers as his best 11, well, then you're doing yourself a disservice if you can't play them in the knockout routes. Because like, like we said, even Portugal, there are no easy games from here on out. No mediocre opponents from here on out. They are all going to be difficult to beat opponents Teams that can take advantage of us, especially if we have tired legs. And I think for me, the the only question comes up now is, is Julie Ertz going to be a center back for the rest of the tournament? And if Rose Lavelle can play 45 minutes, do you start her or do you bring her on as an impact sub? Otherwise, Vatko hasn't really shown me anything else that tells me he's willing to change his setup for these next few matches, however far the U.S. gets. Yeah, and I think it comes down a lot to me is Rose Lavelle healthy because I think that's going to determine a lot of how we set up for the rest of this tournament. And how many minutes can she go right now is a really big issue. We don't have a lot of replacements for her unless you're looking at Ashley Sanchez and she's never really impressed for the national team yet. So there's just a lot of question marks I have moving forward about this team. Do you think that Vlatko sees Ertz as a center back now? I think he sees... Ertz as a like as a player that calms everyone else and as a center back you can have your head up and you can be telling other people what's happening on the pitch when their back is turned so yeah like as a player I think Julie Ertz at center back probably makes some sense as someone that can be like defining what happens in front of her but I just feel as a player and you're you're not necessarily losing that if you bring in Cook to the center back position. Like also Naomi Gurma, if you listen to any interviews with her, 
like she's 23, but she's a leader on this team. There's no doubt in my mind that Irma is also kind of a field general <laughs> telling everyone else where to be, what's happening if there's pressure on their back. So yes, I think that Black Coast sees Julie Ertz as, if not a center back, someone that should be as deep as possible to be able to play that strategic mind on the pitch. But my God, like she would be such an upgrade for us, not just on the defensive end and being able to break up those counterattacks, but having her being kind of like a third runner into the box on crosses and having her physical and aerial ability, it just, I don't know. I'm not in the practices. I'm not the coach. I'm a very amateur analyst, but it seems to me that Jill Hiertz would be better placed as the center defensive midfielder on this team. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the rest of the back line, so it kind of sets itself um, and so, yeah, Julie Ertz versus Alana Cook is sort of the big debate that's sort of left in that area of the field. And I'm, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why we never tried this before the World Cup. I get that Ertz hadn't played a lot of meaningful soccer in the last two years. But I, if we're going to try this, why did we only call up two center backs? Why did we not call up more midfielders? Why is Jalen Howell not here? Why why have we not let Sam Coffey play for the national team for the last year and a half? Just, I don't understand a lot of it. And I think there were a lot of roster construction issues that are starting to come back home to roost right now as we're trying to sort of scramble to construct World Cup starting 11s in a pretty rough situation. Yeah. I mean, my, my thoughts essentially boil down to just give me Jill Ellis back and... <laughs> Uh, Blacko, like, no, all joking aside, Blacko needs to make changes to himself and how he sees in-game management if we have any chance to win this tournament. So, Tom, with all these question marks coming up on this game, especially, what's your outlook for the game against Portugal the rest of the tournament? I wouldn't be shocked to see Portugal sort of sit back and play a pretty defensive game against us. Um, I guess they can't really sit back too much because they're going to need to go. They need to win the game if they want to go through. But, you know, there's a price to doing that. I think that they're going to sort of sit back and look to sort of take their chances on counters and sort of play to the strength of their team, also the weakness of our team, which is trying to break down a low block. So, yeah, I I think that we're going to see a lot of the ball and have to sort of figure out a way to break them down and score a quick goal if we want to have any chance to win the group. And from there, it's going to be a really uh, sort of seat of our pants type of tournament uh they could win any game that they this u.s women's team can beat any team they come up against but they could also lose any game at this point i'm not like confident that there's like an easy game left in this world cup for them yeah like there there is not a there is a greater than zero chance that the u.s loses this game against portugal and we're knocked out in the group stage but on a positive note you are right like this is if not the best one of the top two most talented teams on any given day, without any coaching or strategy, they could beat most of these teams uh, if everything goes right for them. So we'll see what happens Tuesday at 3 a.m. Eastern time. You'll be waking up in the middle of the night to watch the U.S. (laughs) take on Portugal for Group G, I think. Are we Group G? uh, Hold on. G supremacy, maybe. (laughs) Might be making that up. We'll we'll group E. Group group B. (laughs) Supremacy is Group E. Yes. So... We'll be there to break it all down the day or two after. Tom, signing off, what's your final word? Ooh. 
final word for today. Um, enjoy the last little bit of a summer of soccer. We've got, you know, this tournament, we got Leagues Cup going on right now. There's just a lot of fun soccer we out, had out there right now. So, you know, I'm trying to catch as much of it as possible in my last few weeks of freedom before the semester starts again. Hope you guys are enjoying it too. And hopefully we can, I can get back on a little bit more regular schedule of talking about this stuff because it's just so much fun and I enjoy it. Yeah, the games creep up on you. The Community Shield is in two weeks and the Premier League will start the week after that. So yeah, soccer is going to be back very, very soon if you haven't been catching the League's Cup and all the exhibitions happening in the U.S. Uh, Syria, Syria, uh, Siri, America, how are we getting that? <laughs> Syria, America um, looks to be growing with Yunus Musa joining AC Milan potentially today. Our reports from Fab Romano. So we will be covering all of that and more. The U.S. taking on Portugal on Tuesday morning. Please leave a five-star review if you are listening to this. Like this video if you're watching it on YouTube. And we'll see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Peace. See you guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.